Hey everybody, welcome to yet another edition of the podcast, Working Drummer. Today we are talking to a really cool guy, Bryce Williams. This man loves drums. He is on the road with country superstar Mark Wills. Bryce also has some cool stories about working with Lady Annabellum early in their career. And uh, he continues to work with a couple of the members from time to time. If you want to hear more information about this podcast, see some pictures, and find out about upcoming podcasts, go to workingdrummer.net and uh, find us on Facebook. So here's Bryce. So yeah, I mean, talk a little bit about, um, I know you're playing with Mark Wills, mm-hmm. um, but what's going on right now? What's, what's, what's keeping you busy um, besides your two and a half year old son? Uh, playing with Mark... Um, I recently played with a group. Um, I don't know if I can say this and record. It's it's a very weird name. It's called Dick Fantastic and the Fabulous Foreskins. Yeah, uh, which is <laughs> Lady Annabella minus Hillary is what okay. it is. Um, before Lady A made it big, um, I forget who had the idea. I think it might have been Dennis Edwards that had the idea of of forming a band and playing. All these songs that that you like, but you won't admit you like, like yeah. Michael Bolton stuff, like guilty pleasure stuff. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. And uh, so we put this together while Lady A was still doing, trying to get their record deal and getting their name out and so on yeah. and so forth. And we played a few, we played a few shows, and and uh, everybody in the band had an alter ego name. So like Charles Kelly, lead singer of Lady Antebellum, he was Dick Fantastic. Yeah. Um, uh, Dave Haywood. How did he come up with that name himself, or did somebody assign that name? To I think Dennis came up with the name Dick Fantastic, okay. and obviously that's going to be your front man. That was Charles, of course. So that's how it <laughs> stuck with him. Um, and uh, Jonathan Long was uh, Pelvis Presley. Uh, Dennis was uh, Girth Brooks. Uh, Clint Chandler was uh, Skank Williams. Slim. Was uh, Nelson's Willie? Um, I was Sticky Rags uh, out of Rick, um, Ricky Skaggs, and uh, Dave was uh, Queef Urban. So, needless to say, we we did this. Great, they, thanks, Bryce. We appreciate your time. I, and yeah, right, and I'm, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, they got signed. This went on the back burner. You know, we kind of forgot about it. Okay. And uh, they called me last year uh, when Hillary was pregnant, going on maternity leave, and they they had all this time off, and they wanted to put this band back together again and do do some shows. So and do you guys play at Twelfth and Porter. We or? played at Third and Lindsley. Okay. All right. I remember that. We played at Third and Lindsley, and uh, it was sold out, and uh, they they. Put the, I think they put the name out, Dick Fantastic and the Fabulous uh-huh. Foreskins, and nobody knew who that was because it had been several years. And I think I, I think I was told that Charles got on Facebook or Twitter and like posted a video saying something about it, and then all of a sudden all this interest mm-hmm. came to it. Yeah. So we did that show, and then we did a private thing uh, later. I think like the next month, and then uh, I got a call from them again a few months ago, saying that. Uh, 
we were going to play the Capitol Records after party uh, after the CMA Awards last week or two weeks ago, whenever it was. Oh. So. Is that here? Oh, here in town. That was here in town. Okay. So mm-hmm. we, uh, so we did that. We rehearsed again and uh, went and did uh, in costumes. Um, <laughs> that was had to wear costumes, and uh, we went and did that, and uh, it was fun. A lot of fun. We had uh, Darius Rucker got up and sang with us, and uh, so did Luke Bryan. Okay. So, which was good to see him again. I used to play for Luke back in the day. Oh, okay. So, uh, he just won Entertainer of the Year that night, so he was on oh, cloud wow. nine. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. It was a it was a fun night. Nice. So, nice. Tell me about when you first kind of got started playing. Um, you, I'm guessing that your dad's. What your dad was an influence. He was. Um, I started playing. Uh, well, they they bought me my first drum kit when I was three, mm-hmm. uh, and it was a Smurf drum kit. It was a toy drum kit, awesome. paper heads, Gargamel on the yeah, front head. yeah. And uh, I basically went through that in no time. Um, mm-hmm. Busted the heads. I had to turn the drums over. I started playing on the resonant heads that busted those, and we yeah. put duct tape on it. And I started playing on duct tape, wow. and then. Uh, uh, a year later, when I was four, I, my dad bought me a Rogers drum kit. Oh, cool. Um, Script Rogers? Big old well, Rogers? Well, it was Rogers with pre-tuned heads. I think it's. I think it was a Yamaha. Yes. Because Yamaha purchased Rogers, if I remember correctly, and it was one of their yes. kits. Uh, but still, it had the Rogers name on it. Wow. Uh, it was, I think, mahogany shells uh, with the pre-tuned heads. And I had that kit up until I was 11, and that's when I got my first Pearl kit. Okay. And, uh, but... From the time I was four till the time I was eleven, I mean, I was just like I said, I would go with my dad's band whenever I could. If they played a wedding or, or you know, some place that I could get into, yeah. um, I would go and I would always sit on the stage and watch uh, the drummer. Uh, his name was Bill Quigley, and he's actually still uh, playing in that band. Uh, and uh, I would just watch him and try to pick up whatever I could just yeah. be a sponge yeah. and uh, I would always play to the radio or play to a cassette tapes or whatever put my yeah. Walkman on uh-huh. and put my headphones on and play at home to that nice. never had any lessons um, when I got into 5th grade I joined the 5th grade band and uh, I learned how to read and okay. learn proper technique and, and yeah. so on and so forth through that but I never really studied formally with anybody till I got to college Okay, so 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 Bill, you could you watching him. That was kind of a yeah. good start for you. But you say you got into some technique when you were in fifth grade. Started, but, but who was? Where did that technique come from? Did that come from someone? Just a band teacher, the band director at the time. Okay. Uh, my band director, uh, his name was Guy Cammer, and uh, um, I just you know. Okay, going I my little, okay. Yeah, yeah. Going to my lesson, learning, you know, how to hold the sticks, traditional grips, on and mm-hmm. so forth. Uh, and then when I got into junior high, you know, um, my band director in junior high, his name was Jim McNary, and uh, I learned a lot from that guy. Um, got better at reading. Uh, got better at playing the kit. Uh, I got into jazz band uh, mm-hmm. when I was in sixth grade, mm-hmm. and uh, I did jazz band all through junior high. And then when I got into high school. Uh, I did jazz band all through high school, and I got into drumline my freshman year. And uh, the drumline instructor we had, uh, his name was Jeff Hoffey. And Jeff was quad captain for Phantom Regiment Drum Corps. Oh, yeah. They're a very well-known DCI Mm corps. 
and I think they have their own podcast. They probably do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jeff, uh, I learned so much from him just in drumline about really about dialing in um, marching technique, um, learning how to read a lot better, uh, sight read better. Um, so I really, you know, progressing up that way, it was just really cool. Drum corps is something that I never did. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I did a year of marching band in high school, but that doesn't even, it pales in comparison to what drum corps is about. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel like that is, that was just a real, that was an important part of your, that has become an important part of your technique, is that ex- having had that experience? I do, especially now um, with, with snare drum technique, because um, I started teaching as well, yeah. and I, I worked at a music store through high school, and I had 20 students a week, and I took what I would learn as far as fixing problems, mm-hmm. as far as technique problems, because when I got into high school and I started uh, you know, being in drumline, I realized, oh wow, I've got all kind of technique problems. Uh, mm-hmm. that Jeff Hoffey was pointing out to me about yeah. grip, the proper grip in my left hand yeah. um, not having my pinky fall off in my right hand mm-hmm. being able to stop the stick right there at the head not letting it rebound back mm-hmm. um, I tried to take all of that and move it into what I was teaching my kids about you know correcting you know because you know as well as I do People can get into bad habits very easy when it comes to technique and playing. And when we're done with this, I'll have some questions for you for myself. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't be able. I, you don't need any of my advice. Well, I I wonder how much you're still using. I mean, I know you, that, mm-hmm. that became a part, but I mean, uh, do you think that any of that hindered? Transferring that information, drum core to drum set. I don't. I don't think so. I think it helped because um, yeah. I used to play traditional grip all the time. Do you still? I'll go back and forth. Okay. Um, when I got into college, I was playing traditional grip almost. I was probably the only guy at Belmont that was playing traditional grip. Oh wow! Um, and then I kind of got into match grip, uh, studying with Chester Thompson. Yeah, uh, got me into match grip. Got me into playing open handed. Mm-hmm. And I'm to a point right now where at a show with Mark, you may see me playing open-handed. You may see me playing traditional grip. You may see me going back and forth, mm-hmm. um, playing regular cross-handed again. I mean, it's I, I go back and forth. It just, to me, I know some people say you need to pick something and stick with it. To me, it's whatever feels good on the song. One yeah, song may yeah. feel different than another, yeah. you know. Um, and that's usually what I just... You know, I decide, you know, how's this one feel? Oh, this feels better playing, you know, open-handed, so I'm going to play open-handed on this. Or this plays, this feels better playing traditional, so I'm going to play yeah. traditional. So when you say open-handed, you're talking left-hand Left-hand hand lead, yeah. Left-hand lead. Mm-hmm. So left-hand on the hi-hat? That's right. Is it? Mm-hmm. Nice. Okay. Um, I know Ben Caesar uh, with Brad Paisley switched. Awesome drummer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, switched to traditional grip back in 2007. Mm-hmm. And I remember when he was going to that transition, mm-hmm. and I was like, "What are you doing?" He had never played traditional grip, mm-hmm. and uh, he's like, "I've got time off, and I want to do this." Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "Man, you are—that's a ballsy move." Oh yeah, and he did it, and now he swears by it. Yeah, you know, and there's all different schools of thought, but 
um, I'm impressed with uh, where he's taken it. Mm -hmm. And his own personal journey is kind of like he's re-inspired himself at this stage. Mm -hmm. And so I I think about uh, where players are at in their life. Yeah. And uh, how do you keep that spark? How do you keep that same spark going that you had when you were 15, 16, 17 years old? I think Ben hit upon that. You know, do you, I mean, do you ever feel like that? Do you ever, I mean, not, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but at the same time, I want to get to a point that because, uh, or splitting the difference here, because here you are, you're a full-time player. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have a two and a half year old son. I do. Okay. Um, you have a young family, mm-hmm. so you're doing it. You're doing the thing. Um, but you're still in a place where it is work now. Mm-hmm. Um, you still have passion for it. You're wearing a oh, yeah. Regal Tip shirt right now. I, th- yeah. I have a sneaky suspicion that <laughs> this is probably most of your wardrobe. Uh, I know you. Yeah. I know your passion for for drumming. Yeah. But do you ever feel like there's you? Every once in a while, I have to check in. You, you, yeah. Yeah. I do. Uh, every once in a while, I, I sometimes, and, and this may happen to you too. I feel mm-hmm. like. You know, you're going up a hill. You're going up a hill, getting getting better at something, and all of a sudden mm-hmm. you plateau out. And yeah. it's like, okay, I'm. I don't really feel like I'm improving. I really don't mm-hmm. feel like, you know, I'm uh, reaching my full potential. Sure. And I go back, and this is going to sound really silly, but I go back to the fundamentals. Yeah. No. And going back to the yeah. fundamentals, uh, basic reading, huh. um, basic. I teach at uh, Roots Academy in Franklin, and I've been teaching there for about three months. And just in the past three months, going back and doing basic rudiments with with, with my students right. and basic reading, I feel like I've kind of started up the hill again. You know, yeah. I've, I've left the plateau behind. I, I it, It's weird because you wouldn't think that going back to the basic beginnings of of what you have to do whenever you start playing drums will help you later but it does and at least it does for me is there anything about high school that i'm missing you got you did drum corps i did drum corps i did jazz band um i did choir i did madrigals i did show choir i did all that through junior high and high school so you were singing and doing other things i was singing but i have not sung since and i don't ever want to sing again the mic's on (laughs) Go ahead. <laughs> we have that segment uh, of the show. Yeah, we'll do that. Okay. We'll do that later. I'll we'll have, have to cue it up. Okay. Do you like uh, reverb on your voice? Uh, do yeah. you need a lot of reverb? Well, it's funny because <laughs> uh, with Mark, I'm always singing back whenever I'm playing. Well, so. well let me ask you, what, what what makes you... Because you know who else does that? Is it Liberty DeVito? Yeah. Liberty was... I really... Liberty was one of those guys that I've, I've always known about ever since I was a kid because I was a Billy Joel fan growing up as well mm-hmm. and uh, you talk about a powerful player right oh my gosh that guy, he, he gets so into the music and you can tell that he is just having the time of his life when he plays and that's I, when I see a drummer having fun it just makes me want to go home and just grab the sticks and start practicing because right. that it's there's something it's infectious, infectious exactly yeah. mm-hmm. about it sure it just makes you want to just oh wow he had so much fun doing that and I think that's what got me into wanting to do this for a living um, the uh, the guy that really got me going into this uh, was Brian Prout oh from okay. Diamond Rio 
Yeah. And I saw Diamond Rio for the first time in November of 1992. They were on tour with Alan Jackson. Mm. I saw them at SIU Arena in Carbondale, Illinois. And after that show, I went home and I said, I think I want to do this for a living. Wow. Okay. And all through high school, I was a Brian Pratt wannabe. Mm-hmm. And and to this day, and I I, I idolized him. I I had three three guys um, that really I consider them my top three guys that I pulled from growing up: Brian Prout, Chester Thompson, and Dave Weckl. And I know there's those together three, those that makes Karen Carpenter. I was going to say I know those three different, completely different genres and completely different areas. But I was a huge Phil Collins fan growing up. Huge Phil mm-hmm. Collins fan growing up, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I was always a huge Dave Weckl fan. I got into Dave Weckl when I was a freshman in high school, but my mom was a Phil Collins fan, and I, I'd always see, you know, anytime you see Phil on, on TV, there's Chester back there playing drums, and he had yeah, yeah. the huge kit, which, you know, yeah. a kid that's eight, nine years old, that's going to get his attention. You know, he's got six rack toms, two floor toms, two kick drums, and, you know, yeah. cymbals all around him, and, and just, it was cool. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I Chester was a great player, and... And uh, when I found out that he was going to be teaching at Belmont, yeah, that kind of solidified. I want to go to Belmont because I was I was accepted to Belmont. I was accepted to Berkeley, and I always knew I'd end up in Nashville eventually. Okay, um, and and I thought, well, maybe I'll just go to Belmont. So you had experience and, playing country music oh, yeah. from an early age oh, with yeah, your dad's was, band, and then yeah, and then and high school. I got into more jazz stuff in high school. I right. played in high school. My band director, Guy Cammer, had a local big band. Uh, it was called the, I think it was called the Heartland Big Band, I think is what it was called. And uh, it was comprised of band directors, all from Southern Illinois. And I started playing with them my freshman year. And you talk about learning, a, a great learning experience, having a big band here, and it's all band directors, you know, and I'm... You know, the freshman kid here trying to play drums, trying to play jazz, mm-hmm. and it was it was a very good learning experience. Mm-hmm. And so I did that through high school as well. But uh, um, when I, like I said, coming to Nashville, when I found out Chester was going to be here, that was I'm I'm, I'm going to go to Belmont. Yeah, and I studied with him the whole time I was there. Yeah. So and uh, and Chester's been in town in Nashville since '93. I okay. I think he came here for Larry London's funeral. Uh, or an excuse, he, he, Larry London died in 92. Larry London and Picaro, who both of those guys were also big, big influences with me. They both died in, I think, August of 92. Oh, and both Ch- the same month. They both died the same month. Wow. Um, and then Chester came for Larry's funeral, uh-huh. fell in love with the place, yeah. and then um, moved the family from L.A. to Nashville the next year. Yeah. So he's been here since 93, I think. Uh, an iconic drummer, a very unassuming person, very humble man, very yeah. spiritual man, and I I can't say enough positive things about him. He has done more for me, uh, you know, drumming. I mean, I learned so much from him. Um, anytime someone says, "Hey, I like how you," I say, well, hey, learned everything I know from Chester Thompson, yeah. and uh, you know, taught me how to how to work. You know, uh, figure something out. I, I knew better than to go into my lesson and not know what I'm supposed to know for that day. Yeah. People are like Bryce. That fill you did on in the air tonight 
was perfect. I learned it from Chester Thompson. I, uh, I did. <laughs> well, the, I even had him play it in, in my lesson one time. He had him sitting behind the kid. I said, oh, yeah. you got to play it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, it, while we're on Chester, that's at, at Belmont. Mm-hmm. Um, so you knew. So you, all during your time, he was your principal teacher? He... Or did he, did you guys have other teachers? I had there I had other teachers there. My first semester there, I had two years of classical percussion that I had to do, and I had Todd London for that. Which Todd is another great teacher, great person, and I, I think so highly of him. Mm-hmm. Um, the other guy uh, was Brian Fullen. I studied for one semester under Brian Fullen. I know Brian when I got there, and I had Chester in seminar. I had seminar okay. all, all, all through there. And Chester had heard me play in seminar. Chester at that time mainly just did your upperclassmen, juniors and seniors. And Brian handled your freshmen and sophomores. Mm-hmm. And I just, I really wasn't feeling anything clicking with Brian. Um, mm. I, I really felt like we talked earlier about reaching that plateau. Yeah. Where just not really getting any better. And I really don't feel like any improvement is happening. And... So I approached Chester at the end of my first semester, which was uh, November, December 98. And I said, I know you usually handle the upperclassmen, but could you take me on? Hmm. And he said, I've heard you play in seminar. He said, yeah, I'll take you on. Nice. So January of 1999, I was with Chester and I was with him the rest of the time there. What about uh, some of the things with any of the teachers? You took away that what was it about any of the teachers that you had during that time uh, I'm guessing a very progressive time for you as a drum set player mm-hmm. that you're able to use now as a working player trust as, your ears yeah trust your ears huh listen to the people around you okay um, now I mean can you expound upon that well the one thing I learned from Chester and I this this holds true today is he said you know you can get into a situation you can be a monster player he said you could have you know um, Thomas Lang chops or mm-hmm. or um, Marco Miniman or you know mm-hmm. you could have chops like these guys he said you go into a band situation and play something like that you're going to get fired right he said you've got to learn how to listen to what's going on around you if, yeah. if you've got a guitar player doing a solo you don't need to be back there Trying to put you know your flavor of the week lick in and you know yeah. completely stomp all over what he's doing. Stay out of the way. Mm-hmm. Trust your ears. Listen yeah. to what's going on around you. And that is the biggest thing that I can say that I still remember to this day. Him, him tell. I still remember him sitting there behind because we had two kits. I was behind one, and he was behind the other, and they were facing each other. And uh, I, I still can remember him telling me that. So, nice and it's and it's and it's the truth I mean you know you've got to be and I think I've always kind of gravitated more toward the song oriented players if that makes sense sure. guys that play for the song right you know stay out of the way it's it's cool that they've got awesome chops and it's cool that they can do all this stuff yeah but you don't really hear them do that very much and it's well, Chester you know, he's that perfect balance though he, he is. is I mean he's playing some pretty incredible music mm-hmm uh, backing up one of the best songwriters in the second half of the 20th century. Oh, yeah. I mean, he has to be, mm-hmm. but it's demanding 
music at the same time. Mm-hmm. Where do you go from college to where you're at now? What's going on? My first gig uh, was with a guy named Kevin Sharp, mm-hmm. um, who actually just recently passed away earlier this year. Okay. Um, his big hit was uh, Nobody Knows But Me. That came out in, uh, I think, 96. I was still in high school when it came out. And I played with him for almost two years. And then um, I got a really great opportunity. My freshman year of college, I met Joe Smith from Sawyer Brown. And Joe and I struck up a a friendship, and we still have that friendship today. Um, Joe contacted me about filling in for him with Sawyer Brown. And that that was... I was just floored when he asked me because I grew up listening to Sawyer Brown. Yeah. And I, I met Joe for the first time when I was 13. Uh, my dad's <laughs> band opened for them. Wow. And uh, I've shown Joe the picture of me and him back back from 1993. And it's kind of funny to look at that and realize, oh, my God, I've known him, you know, since I've been in town and we're, we're friends. And I consider Joe a mentor. Anytime I've got, like, something big happening career-wise or... You can still, I, still I, talking to him. I will him. call him and I will nice. say, what do you think? Excellent. Uh, and uh, that's, I really consider him a him a, uh, a mentor. What kind of advice, maybe non-drumming, have you heard from him that's been like, yes, thank you, I need this, I need that? I mean, have you ever thought, I mean, I don't get caught the- up in, in the glitz of things. You know, mm-hmm. gigs are going to come and go. You know, you've got to be happy. You've got to be, uh, you know, too many people have had gigs that they they hate but they keep it because you know it's it's a gig you know and i've i've had i've had a couple gigs i play with a lot of people and i'm i can say that i've only had a couple gigs that i really look back and say i should have quit those because i was just miserable and uh you know, and I, and I should have, and I, it just it just made me miserable, and I, I felt like it. You know, um, it affected my playing, it affected my personality, it affected my overall mood, and uh, it just wasn't a very healthy thing, I guess you could say. Right, right, so, right. After that, I did uh, um, Luke Bryan. Okay, I played with him uh, right after he got signed. Mm-hmm. He was still recording his first album. And I played for him for oh, it was about six months, I think, is how long I played for him. And then after that, I did a few months with uh, Brian McComas. Right, I remember him. And uh, after that, uh, Lady A came in. And uh, I was with Lady A for, I think, about two and a half years. And during that time, I also played with Sarah Evans. Uh, her drummer, Jim Bloodgood, is a friend of mine. And, right. And... Uh, uh, I've been very, very blessed that anytime Jim needs a sub, he calls me. Nice. And uh, so I played with her, started subbing for Jim in 2007, and uh, I did again like in 2009, and then I did, uh, uh, I filled in several shows for him last year. Um, he was out, he had some surgery and was out okay. for a while, so I filled in for him. So Jim's still playing with Sarah? Mm-hmm. Jim's still playing okay. with Sarah. Right. Staying on with your relationship with with Jim Bloodgood and and Sarah Evans, I mean, mm-hmm. so how did you know Jim? Was there? I met Jim through my friend Jonathan Long. Jonathan was playing keys for her, okay. and um, I kind of got to know everybody in the band. I got to know Matt. I got to know Jim. 
Um, uh, Clint was there. Uh, Clint Chandler was That's there for right. a while. Yeah. Um, Brent Wilson was there. Brent Wilson is still there. Um, but uh, I kind of got to know everybody in the band. Uh huh. So. And what are you doing? I mean, to prepare for that as a sub gig. Um, is there I, anything special that you might do differently than your gig, the gig yeah. that you own? I. Um, a lot of Sarah's music has backing tracks. Yeah. And. Um, Are you using Jim's rig? I am using his rig. And and what I would do is um, Jim would come over and we'd go over. He'd bring the Pro Tools rack mount unit, bring the laptop, and I'd play through everything here. Um, You know, with him kind of giving me, well, you know, when she says this, like vocal cues, when she says this, hit the space bar. Yeah. You'll have, you know, some of the count offs were full bar. I remember the first time I played with her, uh, I think the show started with Coal Mine, the song Coal Mine, and all I had was a four and count off. Holy moly. And I started out with, a, it was like, hit the space bar, four and, do, 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 and then it, the show would start off, and all I had was that four and. Yeah. And I thought, oh, good Lord, I'm going to screw this up. And uh, But I would just go over stuff like that with him. Just over and over and just... Go over that, bad. just make sure that I had that, make sure I had... You know, because like with every other, Mark does the same thing. There are certain things he'll say night after night to the audience right, right. to let us know right. what's coming up next. And right. he'll say, uh, for instance, we do uh, a tribute to Alabama. We do an Alabama medley with Mark. Uh-huh. And how I know he's ready for me to count it off, he says, do we have any Alabama fans? Yes. Three, four, one, two. And then we start in with uh, the closer you get. Okay. So is it? was there anything that kind of happened with uh, the tracks with Sarah anything yeah well, I had a train wreck yeah I had a train wreck uh, how did you recover from that turned turned everything off oh really is turned there no, there's not a restart or anything no just... well what happened was I the first show I did with her last year when I filled in for Jim last year we yeah. did CMA Fest okay here in town Riverfront Stage Thursday morning first artist on the stage yeah we did like a 45 minute set yeah Jim was not there they had a different rig. They had um, they went to using an Alesis hard drive, and everything was on there. And you have, you know as well as I do, you've got local crew helping get everything on mm-hmm. and get everything off real quick. And they were trying to plug stuff in. Come to find out, oh no, it was patched wrong. Oh no, I didn't know how to patch it. Yeah. And and nobody else in the band knew how to patch it. We had oh, no. uh, her monitor guy Bob and her front of house guy John were were there on the phone with Jim. All right, now does this go here? I mean, because oh, it, no. it, it just got patched wrong. And I was getting, we started it, and there's like this whole intro to the show, and like uh, I'm supposed to hear a drum loop come in my ear, and then I'm supposed to start into the groove, and I'm looking, I'm watching the count, and drums come in like at 30 seconds. We hit 30, nothing. We hit 35, nothing. I look at Matt, her brother. I'm, there's, we're at Riverfront stage, full audience. I look at Matt, and I'm like, it's not starting. He said, shut it off and just start playing. So I shut it off, and I played the whole show, just no tracks or anything. No tracks, I, and so no click as well. I pulled out my metronome and plugged my metronome into my ears, and I went I went from, you know, I, all I had was just my, my uh, rhythm watch going in my ears oh. and trying to guesstimate yeah. where the tempos were for each song. Oh, you didn't have the tempos. You, because they were all, in the tracks. Yeah. And you had to guesstimate. Yeah. The, but you had to play some without the click, at least starting out. I did. I did starting out, but I I feel so like... So you had to use your internal... Yeah. 
rhythm. How to use that, and then uh, <laughs> and then we played later that day too. We yeah. played her fan club party later that afternoon. Okay. And so I kind of got together with everybody. And luckily for the fan club party, it was like a broken down kind of stripped down acoustic kind yes, of thing so yeah. we didn't use any tracks anyway okay but I met with Jim again the next day at Soundcheck and learned how to patch it and I actually took video with my phone oh. so someone so Jim was in town You were he was to... in town he was just recuperating oh okay. and um, he met me at Soundcheck the next day and uh, Matt Evans Sarah's brother also came because he wanted to learn how to do it too in case this ever happens again yeah um, and so Matt and I both watched Jim and I like I said I took my cell phone and I took video of where this goes where that goes and come to find out it was just a, it was just patched wrong is all it was um, but did during the gig I mean were you getting the stink eye and I wasn't looks? getting the stink eye I, I but I felt like oh my god they are never going to call me again they're going to say well you know you were supposed to do X amount of shows with us after this we'll just get somebody else we thank you I, I was expecting that they weren't they were completely cool about it and you know I think once we realized the next day that, that it was nothing that I did, that, you know, it, it was just, you have, you know, stage hands that don't know what's going on, trying to plug yeah, stuff yeah, in real sure. quick, and it's just, that's what happened, and, amazing and uh, you know, Sarah didn't say anything about it, you know, it just seemed like it was fun, yeah, so, yeah. it's, uh, you know. Yeah. Stuff's going to happen. Yeah. But how you handle it, and I love the fact that it's like, you pulled your metronome out on Sarah's gig, mm-hmm. guesstimated the tempos, mm-hmm. Get yourself dialed in, keep it together, yeah. and that's probably was to your credit had more weight to it over time with the with Sarah and probably the rest mm-hmm. of the band. It's like okay, this technically happened. We're smart enough, we're professional enough to know that it wasn't Bryce's fault, yeah. but he handled it and he we carried on, and the audience probably knew no no different. I had uh, you know Will Atkins. I don't know Will. You know, uh, Will's Mark's piano player. Okay. Uh, Will was actually... He's probably the only person in that band I don't know. Okay. (laughs) Will was out in the audience that day. He came to hear me play that morning. Yeah. And he texted me as soon as we got done. Man, you guys sounded great. I ended up calling him. I said, how was it? He said, it was great. Why? And I told him what happened. He said, honestly... And I I trust Will. Um, Yeah. Will, Will will always be straight when it comes to how the music sounds. He said, I swear to you, he said, you could not tell. He said everything felt right, everything sounded right. He said you could not tell. He so said, I, he said, I didn't even a know. musician yeah. in the audience told me he couldn't even tell. Nice. So that made me feel a little bit better. That's so, awesome. That's I still awesome. felt bad that it happened, but you know, at least someone whose opinion I trust when it comes, you know, to you know, I, I Will's got a great set of ears on yeah. him, and you know, he's got a very good sense of time, making sure that nothing was floating. Yeah. yeah. You know, so no, I love that. I love that story. I mean, that that's just a great example of just handling things professionally. Mm-hmm. Lady Antebellum is what really opened the door for me. Um, Lady Antebellum kind of threw me out um, into a spotlight that I'd never been in before. Um, playing arenas, playing mm-hmm. huge festivals. Um, and uh, I was really blessed um, with the fact that they asked me to play on their album. Yeah. And to me, I mean, that that right there, people always ask me if I ever get nervous whenever I play. And I and usually I never do. Yeah. I was nervous walking into that studio mm-hmm. to record with 
you know, Mike Rojas is over there on, on keys mm-hmm. and, you know, uh, Paul Worley is producing it. He's in there behind the console and it's just, it was, uh, Craig Young was playing bass. Uh, I mean, it, it was just very well, What led to that? What led to them saying, I mean, I mean, I know it's like you have the ability, you have the, you have the chops to do this. You have the musicality to do this. Well, they did, after we did our first show, we did our first show as Lady Annabellum. In, and how did that start? I mean, how did you... Meet that that came about through Jonathan Long as well. Okay. Jonathan played a gig, a random gig in town uh, with, mm-hmm. uh, with a girl, um, and Dave was playing acoustic guitar for her. Oh, wow. And Dave and Jonathan started talking, and, and uh, um, David mentioned that him and his friend Charles Kelly and and a girl named Hillary Scott want to get a thing to get they've got a writing trio together and they want to go out and do some shows and ask Jonathan if you know he'd want, want to play and Jonathan said sure and, and, and uh, they said well we need to get you know drums and bass and Jonathan said I'll let me make a phone call he yes. said I got two friends yeah. bass player and a drummer he said let me call them so wow Jonathan, if you only have two friends yeah. it's good that they're well in college Jonathan and I played together since college and, uh, and uh, the bass player he's referring to was referring to as Dennis Edwards and Dennis and I played together since college Yeah, and the three of us I mean we, we've always played together yeah. so it was kind of a no brainer he called me he called Dennis but it, you so this was through friends this, this was, was through friends and, and people you uh, have experience playing with mm-hmm. but when you're given that opportunity you have to show up mm-hmm. yeah. yeah they we got the material I think it was I think we did eight songs uh-huh. I think what we did, we did the first the, the first two shows were uh, opening for Charles's brother Josh Kelly. Um, we did a show in Nashville at Third and Lindsley mm-hmm. on like a Wednesday night, and then we left the next morning and went to North Carolina, and we did a show. Uh, I think right outside of Raleigh, and then somewhere else in North Carolina, Winston Salem or something like that, mm-hmm. the next night, and. Uh, Came home, got paid, and I thought, well, that was fun. You know, sure. If, if we hear anything, we hear anything from him. If not, you know, I had fun. About a week later, I get a phone call from Dave saying, hey, we're over here at Josh's house because he and Josh, or he and Charles both lived at Josh's house down in, down in Cool Springs. And he said, hey, we've got some songs that we've written, and we want to put some drums to them. Can you come down and lay yeah. some drums down? Yeah, yeah, sure, I'll be right there. And that went on for several months where I would be down at Josh's. Josh had a studio there in his house, and I'd go there, and it was almost like a weekly occurrence. They would call me and say, hey, we've got two songs, or we've got five songs. Or sometimes it's just, hey, we've got one track. Can you come down? Yeah. Were they were they de- uh, demoing them? They were demoing. That? Okay. Yeah. This is stuff that they had written last night, and they want to put real drums to. And Because Dave played pretty much everything. Dave plays piano guitar he could play bass okay. and he he would play all this other stuff but they would want real drums not a, not a drum machine or not Dave back trying to you know sure play or, or Charles which Charles actually is a drummer um, Charles played drums growing up um, but uh, they would call me I would come down and I would do that and I did that I've got probably I don't know 50 or I probably have close to 70 demos of theirs that no wow. one's ever heard. That, wow! You know that you know some great material. I mean, some of some of my favorite stuff. I don't think we'll ever see the light of day of stuff that I, <laughs> that stuff that I think, man, that is a great song. And uh, so I did that. 
and uh, you know we played we had our weekly gig at Third and Lindsley and they started getting more buzz about him around town and people would come out to the shows and Paul Worley would come out and and from from what I understand and from what I've been told is that when they started negotiations uh, with who's going to produce their album they were talking with Paul and Paul made a comment uh, I was told that Paul said that I reminded him of Matt Chamberlain wow which I was told that by two different people and I thought you guys are full of it he's I mean that was it made you feel good. I mean, it, oh, yeah. I mean, but yeah. I, I thought, no, he didn't say that. And they're like, dude, you know, he said you reminded him of Matt Chamberlain, and and he he's even talking about maybe maybe you playing on an album. No, that isn't gonna happen. And I just, you know, we had that going on. Uh, Sarah and I uh, were getting married uh, about that time. Our wedding was coming up, so I had wedding stuff coming up, and I had you know stuff with Lady A and, and so on and so forth, and. We got married, uh, and then we took a short honeymoon because Lady A got booked at CMA Fest downtown. Wow. So we took a short honeymoon for me to fly back and do CMA Fest. And uh, we played Ripper Front Stages that day. And later that night, my wife, me, uh, and Dave Haywood and, and a couple other people went to the nighttime show over at LP Field. And we all sat together, and we were walking out, and Dave said something about, Hey, I think, you know... We're talking with Paul Worley about this album, and you know, I think we may be going with him. And man, he loves your playing. And you know, talking about you playing on the album, he told me that again. And I thought, hmm. I said, Well, that's great, man. You know, I'd love to do it. And I'm thinking to myself, There's no way they're going to call me to do this. There's mm-hmm. so many, there's A list guys that they're going to call to do this, not a 27 year old who's, yeah, I've done studio work, but I've never done anything on that level, anything like that before. And then, sure enough, two weeks later, I get a phone call from Paul's assistant saying, we want to book uh, studio time in two weeks. We need rehearsal day, two rehearsal days, and we need you booked for, like, four days here for Lady Annabelle and Album. And I thought, I really thought it was somebody pulling a joke on me. And I thought, you got to Well, so much in this business, you have to, before you're on the plane, on the bus, in the studio, on stage, you have to take so much with a grain of salt when mm-hmm. people say, hey, I want to do this, or I need you for this, I want you for that. And you, you can't say, oh, wow, I, I'm, I'm going to do this. No, it, it, you don't know for sure until you're there, until ticket in hand. That's why I don't count on stuff until I'm actually doing it. <laughs> yes, no, you can't. It's dangerous. It's, it's, it is. It's, 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 it messes with your mind. Mm-hmm. It um, does. Right, right. That's great, man. So, so you did, did you guys do two days of rehearsal, like pre-production? We did like two days of rehearsal uh, just to kind of go over the tunes. Yeah. Um, he, he likes doing that, rehearsing the group before we go in and record How it. How much and instruction were you getting from pr- pr- A little producer? bit, a little uh-huh. bit, but not a whole lot, uh, because the, the material was stuff that I'd been playing with him. Right. Anything uh, Anything particular, They maybe outside your comfort zone, or maybe um, was there some advice that you're like, oh, I haven't considered that, maybe from a producer's ear? Expand your snare drum collection. Oh, yes, Okay. I only had uh, three snare drums that I owned at the time, uh-huh. and uh, I, I ended up. This uh, I used a. Did you use those th- three snare drums? I did use those three snare drums. Yeah, I used. Uh, I had a. Uh, excuse no, excuse me. I had four snare drums. I'm sorry. I had four. I had two DW snare drums and I had two Pearl snare drums that I used, and yeah. I ended up didn't use any of the DW snares 
the pearl snares were used on everything. Wow. I used um, Chad Smith's signature snare on Love Don't Live Here. Yeah. And then every other song I tracked, I used my Dennis Chambers signature snare. Wow. And I tuned it low. I tuned it high. Uh, I, I really messed with the tuning a lot on it. And the Chad Smith is almost like a Black Beauty copy. Uh, it's a, a it's a five and a half and it's a steel shell. It's not, steel shell. It's a steel shell um, with a black nickel plated. Nice. Um, okay. Um, and what is the Dennis Chambers? Dennis Chambers is a four ply maple okay. uh, with uh, four ply uh, reinforcement hoops on top and bottom. Oh. It's ba- it's basically a four ply master series snare with two snare strainers, one on each side. Diecast. Diecast hoops. Yeah. Okay. And you use that on. I use that. I use that on the other tracks that I did. I remember talking to you once, and you said that you took the record over to Chester. I did. To have I him did. listen to it. I did. And that had to be kind of a crazy experience. Like, here's my teacher, my mentor, and I just played on this record. That was That's like, going to be a hit. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, I, rem- I remember the day I went over there. Uh, I went over the week after the album came out. I called him, mm-hmm. and I told him what was going on. And uh, he he kind of already knew what was going on because at that time I'd already started reaching out to different companies that their products I was using. Yeah. And um, two of the companies he also represents. And so they were contacting him about me because nice. I put him down as I studied with him, call him. They, and they told me anytime they see anything with his name on it, they call him to make sure that I'm being truthful and I'm not just saying, oh, I know Chester Thompson, you know. Right, right. Um, Regal Tip and Sabian were the two companies, and uh, so I. Anyway, I went over to his house and uh, um, went into a studio, which was in his garage. And uh, I said, "Well, here it is." I said, "Just listen to it." I, I, I gave him the copy uh-huh. of it. We listened to a couple tracks, and uh, we listened to "Love Don't Live Here," which was the first lead-off single uh, for the album. And I think we listened to. I think we listened to "Slow Down, Sister." I think is the, the other song we listened to. And um, he he was just sitting back in his, you know, he's got his console there in his studio, and he's just kind of leaning back in his chair, mm-hmm. and he's kind of got his hand on his chin, and just kind of leaning back listening. And, and I there was a couple little things that I did on Love Don't Live Here. Uh, I did a little hi-hat lick at the end of the, uh, I guess is the uh, turnaround after the first chorus going into the second verse. Uh-huh. And he heard that, and he kind of got a little smile on his face when I did that. <laughs> and... Uh, you know, he listened to the tracks, and, and he said, uh, he said, man, he said, it sounds good. I said, you like it? He said, yeah, it sounds good. I mean, it was, to hear him, because he is one of the one of the people that I really, that his opinion really matters. You know, Chester being one, as I mentioned before, Joe Smith being the other one, I gave Joe a copy of it as well. Awesome. Um, and uh, actually, Joe, actually, all the guys in Sawyer Brown listened to it. <laughs> so I remember I saw them not long after that, and their keyboard player Hobie made a comment about one of the songs or something yeah and uh, it's like you heard that he said yeah he said I went out and bought a copy that's I great said, oh, cool. yeah, that's so nice. but uh, your experience with Lady A performing live and, and tracking the first record mm-hmm. is there something that you feel like you did to capitalize on that experience I think the I think the thing that came from it was was more confidence thing, confidence oh, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, and to this day, you know, I, I've, to this day, there are certain times that I feel like, man, I, 
I don't deserve to be doing this. You know, there's so many guys out there so much better than me, and there's mm-hmm. and you know, there's there's so much I can I can continue to learn. It, it gave me the confidence to to just kind of you know hang my hat on and say, yeah, I did that. You know, no one's ever going to take that away from me. No one's ever going to change that. That's in that's down in the books. That's you know, and I'm proud of the work I did with him. I, yeah. I will always be proud of the work I did with him. Um, I'm. I mean, I'm proud of everything that I've done, um, and uh, I just, like I said, I think it was just a confidence builder because up to that time, you know, there are certain. I'm trying to think how to say this, <laughs> um, there are certain times. I think every player goes through this where they yeah. doubt themselves, mm-hmm. of course, and wonder, you know. Am I doing the right thing? Did I play the right thing? Am I am I am I am I on the right track? And like I said, that just kind of reassured me that I am on the right track. But even though that reassured me, there are still days that I question: Am I doing the right thing? Am I you know should I have done this instead of doing this? And it just yeah. it's it. So if that makes sense, it, it, well, sure, uh, sure, because well, you're getting the approval not only of your peers. And the people you went to school, but you're getting approval and you're getting the green light from uh, seasoned professionals mm-hmm. and producers and the people that matter mm-hmm. in the industry in which you are working mm-hmm. and trying to make a living at. Yeah. And uh, if you're trying to be, a, this is purely my opinion, but when you're trying to make a living as a drummer in the music business, one area is uh, seeking the approval of those who employ you and mm-hmm. other musicians. This is a funny thing. Every gig I have ever gotten I've gotten from no audition and the auditions that I have done I've never gotten anything. <laughs> so, um, but no, I was called to do the Mark Wills gig in I think March of 2011. Kevin uh-huh. Key, who was the band leader and guitar uh-huh. player at the time, contacted me and uh, our friend David Black yeah. was there. David Black was going on to play with, I think, was it Brett Eldridge? Yes. Brett Eldridge. And so I came in and uh, and did the first show. It was here in Nashville, uh, like middle of April. It was a Wednesday night show and uh, came in, no rehearsals, just did the show. Yeah. And I thought, well, I think that went okay. And I met Mark after the show. And I had met Mark... A couple of times before, um, I had played with Kevin on some of his Tuesday night gigs that he had uh, at Second Fiddle, and every once in a while Mark would stop in. And I remember meeting Mark then. And uh, so I met, you know, talked to Mark after the show, and Mark said, "Hey man, you know, sounded good." I said, "No, thanks, appreciate it." You know, if you guys ever need, I, I didn't know if this was going to be a permanent thing. I didn't know. But this is another what. one of those gigs. There was no rehearsal. You have to come in prepared. I came in prepared. I got a yeah. copy of the live show, which is usually how things happen. Um, yeah. With with the Lady A thing, it was I got a copy of their demos. Um, come in knowing them with Sarah Evans stuff. I got a copy of the live show, and then, like I said, Jim would come over and we'd run over the tracks. And you know the, the technical of it, aspect, the technical of, it, aspect but basically, of it, but the playing stuff. I did they're not on my taking own. extra time to rehearse no. you and get you up to speed. You've got to come in prepared, right? And then um, and play the part. Play the part. The Luke Bryan thing was the same way. I got the recommendation from a guy that I played with with Kevin Sharp. Uh, you know Mark Robichaud. I had the name sounds familiar. Mark Robichaud, uh, bass player. Um, he and I played with Kevin Sharp together, okay. and. Um, 
he was playing with Luke at the time, and he mm-hmm. contacted me about playing uh, drums for Luke. And so uh, it was the same kind of thing. I got a recording, learned the recording, yeah. and go do the shows. Yeah. So, and that's that's how it was with Mark's stuff. And uh, about a week later, I did another show with Mark in Kentucky. Uh-huh. Um, and after this show, I got a text message after this show from Mark. This is my number. Put it in your phone. And I thought, okay, I got the gig. If, yeah. if he's giving me a cell phone number and saying, put it in your phone, I'm, I'm pretty sure that I've got the gig. Yeah. And uh, a few months later, um, Kevin left and Mark approached me about doing some band leading. Oh, nice. Um, so... been blessed to have been able to do quite a bit of session work um you know played on lady a's album did a did a christmas thing with them uh, a master of baby it's cold outside that i hear every year around this time of year <laughs> nice uh, i've heard it in walmart i've heard it at the movie theater before the movie starts um i did uh, my first movie soundtrack with lady Annabellum. oh cool uh they did a song for act of valor uh, which was a Navy SEAL movie out a couple of years ago. And okay. uh, I played on that with them. I did a Olympic 2008 Olympic Summer Games soundtrack with them. Um, so I've done I've done my fair share of stuff with them. And, yeah. and, and like I said, I'm very proud of everything I've done with them. And they, you know, I'm glad that they called. <laughs> I'm glad that they called. For sure. So For it's, sure. Been, it, it's been cool. That's awesome. This summer at uh, Summer Nam here in Nashville... Um, we played the Opry that night. Uh, the Friday, and that was on like Thursday, Friday, Saturday. We played the Opry on Friday night. And I had um, my rep from Regal Tip here in town. And I took her to the Opry that night. We started talking backstage. And when was this? This was just a few months ago. Oh, okay. Summer name. And, um, and Michelle, Michelle Collado um, mm-hmm. is my rep there at Regal Tip. And she said something about, you know, about the Opry being so nice backstage and she's like you play here all the time I said yeah I play here at least with Mark we play here at least once a month if not twice a month yeah every month and she said we need you send us pictures we need to you know and I said well should I get it yes get a Facebook page you know and yeah. and I think that's kind of you know alright I'll go ahead and do it so I, I signed up I did an artist page um, not a uh, not a uh, personal page and um, so I contacted Sabian and Pearl and Regal Tip and Aquarian and uh, the newest company that's um, put faith in me, uh, Gorilla Ears, in-ear monitors. Uh-huh. When I was a kid and I knew that I wanted to do this for a living, the, the, I didn't want fame, I didn't want fortune. If I wanted fortune, I would have went to medical school. Um, <laughs> and if I wanted fame, I would have went into politics or been an actor or something else. I love playing the drums. Yeah. I've loved it all my life. Yeah. Um, there's, there is no place I feel more comfortable than on sitting on a drum throne behind a kid. And, you know, God has blessed me with the people that I've met and the experiences that I've gotten uh, because of the people I've met. And, you know, I consider myself very lucky. I consider myself very lucky because here, here's another aspect that we haven't touched on: um, family. Yeah. And and doing what we do. You know, is is your family is you know your spouse supportive of you? You know, yes. my wife is 
my wife is so supportive of me. It's it, 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 there's some, there's something wrong with her. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, she she is so supportive. Yeah. Um, she well, that's uh, so important, man. And you know, that's that's one thing that I never have to worry about is you know how 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 she gonna feel about this. Her comment is, you know what, you do what you need to do. You know, we'll yeah. we'll be here. I'll hold down the fort while you're gone. And yes, we've had you know those periods where I'm gone for two weeks straight. Yeah. And, you know, obviously having children complicate the issue more. Yeah. Um, but my wife has been just fantastic wife and my, and my family, my, my in-laws, they'll come down and stay with her. My, yeah. my own parents yeah. will come to town and help out with, with my son. Yeah. Um, you know, I just feel really blessed to be able to do this for a living because all I ever wanted to do was play drums and my idea of success was being just respected by other musicians. Yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for having opening me. up your beautiful home and uh, putting your son down for a nap so we can have this conversation. <laughs> no problem. Uh, but, um, so, Facebook page. Yes, it's Bryce Williams-Drummer. Okay. 